Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well today. Man, I'm going to talk about a topic today that I've ended up talking to quite a few organizations about. It seems like it's so complicated and so overwhelming, and that's what is my culture? What kind of organizational culture am I trying to create? In most cases, I got to say it's right under your nose. It's just often, just like anything else, it just is overcomplicated. But the answer is right in front of you, and today I'm going to explain how you figure that out. Hi, this is Kirk Kinnear. I'm here to support leaders that know what it feels like to carry that heavy burden, who care about their staff and want to make an impact in the organizations they're leading. My commitment to you as a current leader is to give you company and to bring you to a place of leading lightly. I think there is too many things in leadership that are just over complicated and overwhelming to people and organizational culture. For most organizations, there are some that don't fit this model, but for most of them, this is should be an easy one for you to figure out and it should be an easy one to create in your organization. Uh, I always go to leadership. Um, as many of you know, I've I've got a lot of years of training and quite a few years of experience. There's a lot of books, a lot of people with a lot of things to talk about. There'll be an entire book on culture, and that's a really good deep dive. But I've often found the solution is just looking at it from a slightly different perspective to get you kind of rethinking through why this is getting so complicated and why... Uh, you, you don't want to get distracted by all that stuff and and have a simple perspective so that you can figure out what that culture is for your organization or whatever cause you're trying to lead. It's actually right in front of you. It's right under your nose. So before we get into what that answer is, I'm going to tell you a, a couple stories that I think you'll be able to relate really well to. I'm actually going to try not to tell you a story about a recent customer service experience I had. I, I, uh, I'll talk about that another time, but it was pretty entertaining. I wrote a review and I got a message that it was, it was a very red review because I was really trying to dig into what was going on. It was just such a case study on customer service. But this is really where you the culture organizational culture kind of starts so i'm going to give you a few stories and then we'll we'll dive in a little bit further when i was younger i remember going to mountain recruitment co-op it's a it was an excellent organization it was a co-op that uh, started i believe in british columbia and then it branched across canada and did very well they started by uh, mainly creating all of their product or buying all of their product from other organizations and just reducing the overhead. Then they kind of shifted into basically making their own brand that basically was uh, almost a near copy, a uh, mere copy of the brands that they were partnered with. And then they started replacing those. But in their early days, you could go there and get some of the best outdoor gear uh, that, and the best selection that you could have anywhere. It was kind of like that warehouse approach when outdoor industry, a lot of the gear shops were real small and very tight niched. You could go into the Mountain Kumont Co-op and it was like a Walmart, but there was something different about it than a lot of, like I use the word Walmart, but it, the thing that was very different about it 
was when you went into a section, let's say you went into the backpacking section, there'd be this person there. You could tell right away that they were like an avid backpacker. They would start talking to you about the trips they did. They'd talk about all these things. And then you'd be like, oh, I'm looking at, a, you know, and like 20 years ago, thermorests were pretty new. So you're like, I'm looking at a thermorest. And then they'd give you like the whole scoop on it. They knew absolutely everything about backpacking because they were passionate about it. They understood it and they were connected to it. Then you would go to the climbing section. You'd re- meet this person with, you know, dried up chalky fingers and real strong hands and real strong forearms, but real wiry person. And you knew they were a climber. They often were wearing climbing shoes and they would talk to you about grigris and uh, auto blaze and all this stuff that was coming out break it all down, rate, you know, is pretzel the best or is this company the best? And then if you talked about anything to do with climbing, they had climbed and they loved it. Then if you went to cycling, the exact same experience. I loved going there. Absolutely loved it. In those days, I absolutely loved it because it didn't matter what I wanted to do. If I was like going to get a headlamp, I could find somebody who was just passionate about headlamps. And to be fair, I love going to any shop that is like that. Like imagine going into it. It's, it's one of my favorite parts about hobbies are most people that work in hobby shops of any kind, whether it's board games or motors or whatever that may be. The people that are working in those shops, they could have done all these other things with their careers. But really, they're there because they're absolutely passionate about it. You go into a board game shop, you're going to meet somebody who's owns or has played almost every game and can describe every game to you and the differences. They're really passionate people about their thing. Uh, I never went to Mount Okuma Co-op for a few years. I always tried to avoid it because I'd, I'd come out buying way more stuff than I ever intended because I talked to these cool people and they talked me into all this stuff. I remember going back a few years later and I went into the climbing section and there's this person there and their hands weren't uh, like calloused up and chalky and cracked and beat up, but like really, really strong hands. Uh, I'd go to the biking section. The person wasn't even wearing shorts, which, you know, is not a good sign in a biking shop. I went to uh, the camping area and there's just people there in every spot. And I said, what, like, how much, you know, climbing did you do? And the person's like, oh, I don't do climbing. They just, now they want us to know a lot about all these, or a little bit all of these uh, areas, and they just move us around. I remember telling one of my friends, I was like, that's the beginning of the end of this organization. And I didn't understand it at that point. It, It just really hit me that what was being done was wrong. Because... In this situation, people were going into these areas to hang out with people that were like them. In in a way, the outdoors was full of micro niches where people absolutely loved their little passion in the outdoors. And if you're going in there to buy, you know, gear that is quite a bit more than any gear you'd get anywhere else, uh, like any other type of gear, like outdoor gear is generally just more expensive than uh, if you were to get a normal backpack versus a backpacking backpack is just way more expensive. So if you're going in there for something like that, you want somebody who can really explain it to you. And 
I remember walking out thinking that that's the beginning of the end. But they kind of dragged it out even further because they, they, they really started to create their own gear, which would, would look exactly like the gear that they were carrying from another brand a few years later. So it seemed like that helped them to continue. But they'd lost their, their people in their community that were very passionate. And if you've ever gone into a place, uh, let's say you're, you have to replace your phone or something and you walk in there and the person doesn't like phones, how do you feel? Are you excited about your phone? When they're like, oh, I think that one looks nicer, and, but they don't understand what's the difference between the phones. It's not a fun experience. Like you're in there, you want somebody that knows what they're talking about so they can get you one. And, you know, to be fair, they only got like 20 different phones to sell. They should know everything about all of them if that's their job. Same with a car dealership. If you walk into a car dealership and, and the person actually doesn't know the, you know, 10 models of cars that they have in the dealership, that's, that's pretty hard for you. You know, like it's a big investment and they don't know. And this is where the, the simple answer comes into what your corporate or what your culture needs to be in your organization. Because for me, it was learning that lesson from watching Mountain Kuma Co-op have specialists to generalists and having the difference in experience even the audience that showed up were very different after. Maybe their retail sales went up, but definitely the experience was very different after they turned them all into generalists. But you go through that experience, and what I, what I started to think through was, well, if that's the way it feels when you're shopping for something, how are you a reflection of the, what the customers want to see when they're using your organization? And thank goodness for me, I've been working in youth, recreation, sports. I worked in oil and gas for a while, uh, but I've been mainly working in industries, worked at Calgary or worked at the zoo, you know, done lots of summer camps, all sorts of stuff like that. And I'm working in organizations where people need to have fun because your customers need to have fun. And this is the trick to figuring out what organizational culture you need to have. Your organizational culture is right in front of you. It's your customers. Whoever they are, whatever you want them or whatever experience they want, not the other way around. It's not what you want. It's what they want. That's the culture that you have to start striving towards. It's really that simple. Now, if you're a big organization and you're not frontward facing, so if you don't have customers, it gets it's a little bit more complex. But if you are front facing, if you have customers that you can see, you can watch, you have to start becoming a professional version of that customer. If you're a youth program and you're not having fun, your your youth aren't going to have fun. They're not going to join your organization. I took this very seriously and I remember I'll tell you a short, funny story on this is I got a new executive assistant and uh, she came in, she got set up at the end of this long hallway. And next thing I know, we're playing some version of dodgeball, which is an activity that we do in our, in our uh, programs in the hallway. And it was just kind of goofing around a ball bounced off the wall and kind of hit her monitor. And, and she seemed like a really good sport. And she's like, wow, 
this is going to be a lot of fun working here. And I was like, perfect. Glad I didn't hurt anybody and nobody, you know, nothing happened that way. But she ended up fitting in really well and really enjoying that culture. People are like, well, why do you do that? I said, well, that's the organization that we need to be to attract our customers. Do you kind of see how this works? If you're, it, it doesn't matter what you do, you have to start kind of being like, what are my customers and how can I align the closest with them? Because it's about alignment of culture. And sometimes maybe you'll say, hey, my customers, their culture isn't quite where I think it needs to be, but you're the expert. So you move that bar a little bit because your customers need that help. You build the staff team that'll align, will push the bar in whatever direction you think you need, you will get there. And then things start moving faster and smoother. But there's a friction. If you're not aligned with your customer, you've created a friction point and you've actually created more of a distance between you and your customer. And anyone who knows how to do sales and how to grow communities, you have to align with your customer. So then you're thinking, oh, well, this doesn't fit me because, you know, I have a, I, I don't work directly with my customers. Well, in most cases you do. But let's say you're an engineering firm or you're an organization that does exploration or whatever that may be. Your alignment is a little different. You actually have to align with your ideal culture, your ideal staff. So if you're mainly focused around engineering, do fun engineering things. Like have little challenges that test people and their engineering abilities to build stuff, to do things, and then get the staff team that aren't the engineers to do things that'll be supportive of that role because that's what they all do is they support the key function of your organization, which in this case would be engineering. If it's, you know, any of those types of services, you want to take the core that that provides the closest to the front line and you mirror that out over your entire organization. So when I sit in rooms and, you know, you can get paid a lot of money for slowly leading people down this road, uh, which I don't really do, um, clearly, but uh, this is what you're really looking for. It's really about how well you can align with your customer or your core business. Once you do that, everything gets a lot easier. Thanks for listening. If you liked it, remember to subscribe. If you know other leaders who could benefit from leading lightly, feel free to share. For more resources, visit our website at leadinglightly.com.